0: All right, Sam, why don't you take us through what you got for us to look at.
1: All right, so let's take a look at the topic and kind of the story of this, this call. Um, so we've got Phil here. He's got a dead refrigerator, bunch of loads that aren't operating, no compressor, no condenser fan. Um shot it down. I'm going to kind of summarize it for you, but uh, there was some back and forth. Um, they basically... He and other techs on the site decided it must just be the boards. Uh, there are there are actually two control boards here. Um, so they just decided, all right, best thing to do would be to replace both of them. Um, went on and did that and it did not fix the problem. Um, and after that, um, Phil just decided, cut his losses, move on, uh, hand it over to another company. Uh, and then uh, Darren here checked back to see if uh, there's any, any word that Phil heard about the result of the job. Turns out that uh, that other company replaced uh, the fan behind the ice maker, the evaporator fan. Um, uh, oh, or would that be the... Uh, actually might be referring to the icebox fan. Either way, it's, it amounts to the same thing. Um, one of those wet fan motors. Yeah, replaced from the, one of those wet fans. Uh, and that... Made everything start working again. Uh, so some of you might that are already might be ringing a bell for some of you. Uh, loading down, I uh, did for quick here. So what I wanted to just go over is, you know, this is a job that could have been handled better. Um,
0: well, especially what Phil what Phil ended up saying. If you just hop back to that topic real quick, Sam. Um, he right there where, where quick quoted it. Um, uh, he would have never thought to disconnect the fan. That's what we want to do. What yeah. should trigger us to disconnect suspect loads or to even suspect a loading down issue to begin with? That's what Sam's going to go. Yeah, go what, what's a,
1: what's a better way to go about this job? What's Is there is there anything that Phil could have done here to uh, prevent him from just shotgunning, having to shotgun the boards? Is there anything else that we could have been troubleshot? So here is the schematic. Um, so lots of stuff going on here. Um, and unfortunately, on the schematic, they don't give you like pinouts for stuff. So you can see like icebox fan here. It uh, just shows the connector there. But I'm just showing this so you guys can get familiar with it. Uh, we've got the other half of the schematic over here uh, because it was so long to fit it on the slide. I had to chop it up. But that's the entire schematic. Um, Evap fan down here. Um, but what I wanted to point out is on the spec sheet over here. Uh, here's where they do actually show you the, uh, what kind of loads we're dealing with here. And if you look over here, the VAT fan motor right there, it is a DC motor. And so is over here, the icebox fan is also a DC motor.
0: So these are BLDC motors, unlike the condenser fan, which is an AC shaded pole motor. Sam, you can show yep. that. Yeah, you can see the power supply there. It's got an AC power supply. That's just a shaded pole motor, our our good old friend. So the other two with the DC power supply, those are BLDC motors, brushless DC motors that that we're also very familiar with.
1: So, and for for anyone who wants a quick review, when we talk about loading down in a DC power supply, what we're referring to is any load that's connected to the DC power supply or actually anything doesn't have to be a load, any connection that's uh, uh, connected to the power supply. if it gets uh, grounded, that will uh, th- there's a certain amount of current that that power supply is able to provide. And if, it, if uh, something connected to it gets grounded, it's going to ground out that power supply. And so then you're not going to get DC voltage to anything else in the system.
0: Right. You're not so, going to short or burn out the power supply. You're just simply... Uh, uh, expecting it to provide more current than it physically is able to. It's just got a, a limited wattage, three watts, five watts, whatever it is, and there's a current limitation there.
1: And so that that makes an interesting scenario where you'll get these situations where uh, nothing connected to the DC, or nothing that relies at all on the DC power supply uh, will function. Uh, and in this case, and I'll, we'll talk about why, in this case, that included things that weren't DC loads. For example, uh, the, the condenser, fan motor, and the compressor uh, both were not running either. Um, but yeah, when you've got loading down, it's going to mean that anything that relies on the DC power supply isn't gonna function. Uh, let's see, here is uh, one of the boards here. I've got a picture of both, um, just so you can see. Um, actually, we'll, we'll get back to these in a second. I think this, that first
0: um, one, Sam, was the power supply board.
1: Um, yeah.
2: Sure.
1: But first I just wanna talk about when, you ha- when you're, you're aware of loading down as a potential issue, how do you get around this issue of just potentially replacing a board and having it not fix the problem? So first off, just whenever you've troubleshot down to a bad board, you know, you've checked your inputs. Um, you got to make sure to check those because if you get garbage in, you get garbage out. So if you checked all your inputs, uh, they seem to be giving the, the board good info and the board's still not, seem- not doing what it should be doing. And especially if you have multiple loads that aren't working, and if all of them could feasibly be affected by the DC power supply, that even includes if they're AC, because, and this is why I've got the pictures of these boards on here, um, you've got here on this one, it's it's easy to see, uh, you've got relays on here. Well, relays are switches that uh, the board controls them with DC voltage. So if that DC power supply is loaded down, it's not going to be able to switch AC power to uh, the loads. And similar thing over here, you've got triacs over here, but uh, heat same heat principle sink. applies.
0: Those are the triacs with the, these are heavy duty triacs with the heat sinks. They might even be something slightly different, like SCRs or something, doesn't matter. It's a silicon switch um, that's uh, controlled with tiny little DC voltages and currents. They're using the tiny little DC voltage and current to control big AC
1: voltages and currents. So this is yeah. this classic control scheme using the same, same principle I, as a simple electromechanical relay, just executed correct. differently. Yep. Uh, so that's how you've got um, that's how loading down can even affect the uh, functioning of AC loads. And so when you've got that in mind, when you, when you've troubleshot it down to this situation and you want to check all of your bases before you just go and throw new control boards in. Um, you want to identify, especially like sometimes it's not practical to go along and disconnect every single DC load to check them. Cause I did, that's the, that's the only, it's the easiest way to check for loading down and really the only good way is to disconnect the DC loads one at a time. And if you disconnect one and everything starts working again, you found the culprit. Um, but what you want to do to save time and headache is identify like, the, the high risk ones. Um, and so that's ev- especially going to be DC motors in wet environments. They're so like evaporator fan motors, or in this case, it looks like it was the icebox fan motor. As we saw earlier, those are both uh, DC loads, icebox fan here, uh, evaporator fan motor here. And if we go back to the schematic again and locate those, here's the icebox fan, it's on its own connector. So it'd be very easy to disconnect it and check it. And it's the exact same story with uh, the evap fan over here. It's own connector, so you can just pop it off and see if things start working again. So it's, it's a tough situation uh, when you're dealing with it, because loading down is always tricky, even when it's something you're aware of. Uh, but this is, just, uh, this is just kind of a, 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 an additional step in your troubleshooting flow that you can try to incorporate when you get into this situation. Uh, is just if you've got all these multiple non-functional loads, think about if there are any that are both high sus- highly suspect and ones that you could easily disconnect uh, and see if everything else starts working again. Uh, so that's all I got for uh, that scenario. Uh, anyone have any other questions or comments about it?
3: If you can, if you can back up with um, a couple of screens here, uh, what would be how would you be able to check any voltages here? on this i mean besides unplugging what would be the other way because and what i was thinking of if he if he didn't know to start unplugging loads but he wanted to check with his meter maybe maybe he was you know thinking of that route what would he actually check to for that and i know um scott said that we're talking about very very small dc uh voltages and so i was wondering and maybe if that's the issue is you can't really check for the small dc voltages like very small
0: Oh no, we're talking. When I say small, it's relative to what we're dealing with in the AC world. So we're like, yeah, five, could actually five like volts it. data. It could be twelve volts DC. You know, five volts are going to be your your data logic system. Twelve volts is going to be like for relay coils, for lights, and stuff like that. So that's that's typically what we're dealing with: five volts and twelve volts DC in the DC world. Um, so th- those are. Pretty small voltages compared to 120 or two hundred and forty. But they are they
3: are
1: easily measurable with your meter. So yeah, well yeah, like,
3: well maybe I should ask it this way: Is with his uh, it, it, say he thought it was the fan motor uh, instead of unplugging? it, What would he have seen with his meter on it if it was a bad fan motor that was causing it to shut down? Like what would that show on his meter if he had a hookup to the fan motor? Well, now, the fan, the, this is just a
0: two-wire BLDC motor. So the board has no way of sensing the RPM. So the, the board is not going to lock out in, uh, the, either the ice box or the evaporator fan motor. It's, it doesn't have an RPM feedback signal. You just got the two-wire configuration. You got your 12 volts DC and your DC ground. That's it. So the, the board doesn't know that the fan motor is running or not.
1: But I believe the, the answer to Tim's question, correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, would be, because it's being loaded down, you're going to see something less. If you do a, vo- a DC voltage measurement across those um, oh, yeah, leads, yeah. you're okay. going to see something less than the, the maximum voltage. Right, and so the other, okay, yeah. the,
4: the other yeah, thing you do
0: is disconnect that, like for the icebox fan, disconnect that P9 connector and see if you've got your 12 volts back in between two and three, pins yeah. two and three on P9. That's okay. that's, another, that's another way to check. If, if that icebox is what's loading it down, then disconnecting it, you should immediately see your your, your uh, proper DC supply between pins two and three on the P9 connector. Yep.
3: Okay, all right, yeah. Then that's what I was wondering. So he could have, if he had suspected, even without unplugging the stuff, he could have, yeah. in theory, gone load by load and checked each uh, each load load by load.
0: And that's a typical move, by the way. Yes, um, you can check and see uh, what is the board putting out the required uh, DC power supply to that load. If not, then it, I'm dealing with DC load and DC power supply. I got multiple Borky loads going on. So I'm going to disconnect that P9 connector and then check for my DC power supply right at the board at, between pins two and three. If it, if my DC power supply comes back with that load disconnected, I have proven a loading down problem. Roger. Gotcha. All
3: right. That's what, I, that's what I was kind of wondering if there's a kind of a workaround that he could have, he could have done. And I think there was.
0: Yeah. And it just, it, the the whole problem was that the loading down wasn't even on his radar and, um, um, and then, so what we're trying to do is come up with like uh, heuristics, rules of thumb for things that might trigger us to suspect a loading down issue and, and check for that so we don't get right. snaked by that kind of thing.
3: Roger. I was during, uh, during Whirlpool was training, to...
4: they talked about this. And, and Whirlpool, you know, it's a common problem with these, um, these models and the, the five door KitchenAid models that have the user interface. On the, on the pantry drawer and that user interface gets moisture in it or water spills from the dispenser and drips into it and will also ground that out and cause this same issue. So it usually is a wet environment um, load that's causing the issue, an evaporator fan or that user interface or something that can get moisture in it and will cause this particular <laughs> symptom. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, uh, that was good. They're getting the word out on this, and
0: and it's easy enough to check for. I mean, this is not, uh, it, but the whole trick is just being aware that you might be dealing with that, and checking for it and confirming or ruling it in or ruling it out is easy to do. Just a couple of voltage measurements, disconnected and connected, and and uh, that's it. But so the whole trick with with not getting snake bit by this loading down stuff is suspecting and something triggering you about the situation, suspecting that. You might have that going on.
2: Basically it's kind of a, almost like an education thing. Cause I mean, if you don't if you don't go to a Plantology and you know watch, you know, where, learn it from wherever, you never even know this is a thing, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's not even going to be on your radar to even suspect it and and <laughs> not
3: for it. Right. And that was kind of to my point is if you don't know, you don't know. And could he have could he have tested his way through there just thinking, all right, I'm going to go through each one of them by golly and check every single one of them. And, and if he didn't know that, cause some of this stuff is is maybe not intuitive, you know, that's not something intuitive. You're, you're naturally thinking, Hey, this is the higher voltage stuff. Why would I be looking at a DC fan motor? Right. So it's, it, it's not intuitive stuff. And unless you know, you know, and I was just, I'm thinking of someone who wouldn't know that how they could have figured it out. And they could have actually have said, you know, taken the time and gone through one by one and done it. And so there, there is that way too. I was just thinking of the, for people who did not know that.
0: Right. So yeah, you can check for your, I mean, I think he even did this. He checked for voltages going to his different loads, DC and, and AC, wasn't getting anything. Um, and then even for the AC loads, the the, the whole key there uh, is recognizing that, yes, it's, it's an AC uh, power supply going to my compressor and my condenser fan motor, but how is that being switched over to them? They don't right. show you on the on the, on the the schematic, you know, the dumbed-down Whirlpool schematics. Samsung schematics oftentimes will. They'll show you in detail what's going on on that board. Whirlpool doesn't because they outsource all their stuff. But anyway, you just, and if you look at a picture of it that Sam had up there before, you just look at the picture of the boards. And yeah, you, you can see, oh, I've got DC relays and the other board, you got triacs, So you know there's there's DC control of AC voltages going on whenever you see those types of switches. Those are software-controlled switches yep
3: and at some point yeah if you don't know that then then don't know what to tell you you know i mean that's not intuitive and you know if you can't figure it out then that's that's a hard spot
0: you, you got to understand the technology that you're dealing with you can't just go poking around blind you gotta it gotta understand how circuits work yes you also have to understand the the technology that you're dealing with the the, the what's on the circuit board what did it actually do what does a relay do what does a triac do how do they work and you know, why would they use a triac or relay instead of something else? Well, because they want to want to use a microprocessor to control a big power supply.
1: So, yeah. and I mean, the, the bottom line is that you have to know how these DC power supplies work, that they can be loaded down, that they have a certain amount of current they can provide uh, before it just gets shut down. Um, has everyone seen
0: that video that I, I've got a video at a plantology where I, I try to explain loading down? uh with uh drawings and things uh, and maybe that helps maybe that and i don't know but uh, I, I try to make that clear but it's a concept that needs to be in everybody's head and be on the lookout for because that's with all these computer controlled appliances loading down is always an issue it, it's
1: always potentially an issue Let me say that and because it's not just with uh dc loads any anytime you've got like a multi-control board setup you can have like a, a ui that loads down a main
2: control board
0: yeah, like Tim was telling us, uh, yep. and it's good. Whirlpool's putting that word out and uh, clueing everybody into it. Big enough problem, enough people getting head faked by it.
2: Could we um, do a little refresher? I was kind of spacing out during part of the presentation. What were the um, like the symptoms or the initial things like the tech noticed that would kind of like in this particular situation? Uh,
1: yeah, so in this, it was just it was a bunch of. In op load, uh, basically the refrigerator was dead. Um, no ah. lights, no fans, no display, no compressor, or condenser. It was Basically, dead, dead unit.
2: Okay, all right.
0: What's the ten step tango rule when you're de- when we're dealing with multiple in op loads? How do we how do we handle that?
3: One bite at a time.
0: You you, you pick any in op load and work the problem. You will usually end up at the same root cause. You don't try to solve all of them at once. Yeah. You, how do you how do you eat a whale, one bite at a time? So and you, you fix that one <laughs> problem,
1: and and, um, and the others will resolve.
3: I just happened to watch your thermidor video last night, so I used your analogy of the elephant, eat one <laughs> at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought that was a good one.
2: Thank you, Sam. Can you um, so where is this this recording? It's going to be um, available online somewhere. Would it be possible to put this recording, the link for it, in, onto this post so I can go back and read the post? We'll
0: um we'll put it in. It'll go in the webinar. Uh, well, what we're actually calling workshop library because I think webinar is kind of a dead word. People see webinar and their eyes glaze over. So we're we'll calling workshops instead. So we're going to put it in the workshop recording. Uh, but yeah, Sam can show you. Yeah, right here or um, right up okay. here. Go up there. You go ahead and click into that, Sam. So it will appear on this page, probably under troubleshooting and under um, refrigerator. We'll probably post it in both of those categories. And then uh, sure. Sam, Sam will do a blog post on it that will newsletter as well. So if if you're on the newsletter, you'll get notified when it's when it's uploaded.
3: Julian, I just bumped it for you. It's on, on Appliontology.
2: Awesome. Thank you. I was just thinking it would be useful for anyone, any future person that goes to that post um, to have like a nice explanation from you guys ab- about, you know, specifically that issue. That's all. You know, I have it linked right on there.
1: Yeah, yeah, we can we can post a link to the webinar uh, uh, recording afterwards. Uh, yeah. Link to the
3: top. Yes, absolutely. We can, yeah, we yeah. can put. The, yeah, for sure. Good idea. Thank you. All right. Did
1: that? Uh, did that stimulate any questions in anyone? Anything that people had been thinking about that they wanted to
2: discuss? Not really. Not related to this too
3: much. Had a quick question. You know, why
4: don't manufacturers want you to use the IR gun to test temperature? I get it as a as a long-term temperature test, but it's it's the best test to use to give you an initial test for temperature. So why do manufacturers always telling not to use that?
0: I saw that on the Whirlpool video, and he is correct. Technically, he is correct. There's different emissivities that are gonna vary it. I don't know how much it varies, and you know, maybe we're talking plus or minus five percent or something. I don't think it's big. Plus, my 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 IR gun doesn't average. So I go in, I move it around, and then I look at the average, not the instantaneous. And the average is what matters. And the average is going to be pretty right on. I mean, yeah. I have tested it with a thermocouple before, and as long as you're doing the average, moving it around, it's close enough for our purposes. It's close enough. I don't, I don't need. We don't need to be accurate within tenths of a degree.
4: I just need to be within a few degrees. And so maybe they're just concerned about uh, shiny turning a uh, uh, tech or something, putting it in the wrong spot and hitting the wrong and getting a wrong reading. Because I mean, I use it all the time. We have to you? Yeah, I do too. I, I
0: I I use it almost exclusively. At first, I mean, when they first came out years ago, I was like, oh, I don't know how, because I, I knew about emissivity and oh man, I can't really trust this. So I I would I would compare it with my thermocouple, and as long as I was doing it correctly, getting the average, it was close enough. It was always within a few degrees of the of the thermocouple. I mean, single digit, few degrees. So
3: What's interesting, Tim, is is that they actually not only do they say. But the fact that they say, do not use this, <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what am I going to break something here if I use it? It's like, a, you got to tell me not to use something.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah. What yeah. I find is that a lot of these manufacturers, I mean, a lot of these guys in the service um, department, these they're techs like us. And so they, they get a little thing started, a little story started amongst themselves. and go, oh, we need to put this out. No, like, that's a big thing. I remember about years ago, Decor was uh, putting this thing out. Um, about loose connections you know with copper to aluminum wire caps and um, uh, junction boxes that then was going on to supply their ranges or they'd find some other loose connections in, in the neutral uh, or, or in one of the legs for the power supply to the range and they would say that these loose connections would cause the, uh, the the range to draw more current And they were putting this out in a training and I'm like there's higher resistance will drop (laughs) your current. I mean, that's just basic Ohm's law stuff. But what was actually happening is the higher resistance there, it's robbing the heating element of some of the wattage because you're dropping some of that wattage across that loose connection, which is high resistance. And then so the the elements being robbed of some of the wattage, not putting out as much heat, not satisfying the temperature sensor. So the the oven is staying on longer in order to meet the same temperature. That's what's going on. It's not that it's it's you know drawing more current so it can get hotter. But just anyway, this is, that's just an example of what goes on with manufacturers. They're techs like us, and they get their tech myths going too. Their little rumor mills and their tech myths that aren't necessarily based on reality. So just because these guys work for the corporation doesn't mean they're they're plugged into
4: some uber smarts. And, and it may have to do too with the fact of I started I started to see this with the R six hundred changeover. They they put out these extremely safety guides that I think they're worried about techs that, you know, they'll go out with the IR gun and shoot it at the wrong spot and get a wrong temperature. So they have to make this broad uh, rule. Now, like, don't use that. And with the R 600, you know, you have to use a sparkless vacuum pump. You have to use this and that. And if you're a, if you're a logical tech and you're a understand And respect, okay, this is a flammable gas. I mean, we use torches, flammable torches to do, you know, regular r one thirty four. So it's just being safe with stuff. And same thing with the IR gun. I mean, get an average, you know, try to get it used for a temperature. It doesn't mean they have to make a whole rule, oh, don't use that. So I think it's more of they're worried about, techs that might get something wrong. I know GE, this is a simple one. They came out with a bulletin on a dryer. It was a like a, a TCO, one of the fittings, the connectors would blow off of the TCO or something down there on the bottom of the element. And they told you as in that bulletin, you have to replace the whole wiring harness. But I believe it was because they were worried some tech might go in there and make a bad crimp connection and then start a fire. So their bulletin would say, you have to replace the harness. So I think some of these things come from that too. They're worried about the one bad tech out there, which and we know there's many more than one bad techs, but that's what's nice about Appliantology, your course. It's teaching you some of these things that we can get away from the mythology and just be a smart tech and do our thing. Just on, understand what you're doing. Plus, understand what, what you're doing, do it One correctly. thing
0: you were yeah. you mentioned with R600, a lot of that, we're dealing with corporation, big, stupid corporation, right? All rule uh, decisions are made by consensus and committee, which means everything's mediocre because there's no visionary out there. That's that's sort of inspiring things. So what do you got in a big, stupid corporation? You got lawyers, you got corporate lawyers. So a lot of that stuff with the R600, like Sub-Zero's ridiculousness, they probably get the prize with the um, you know, you got to put up the yellow safety. You got to have it vented. You got to have a sign up there. This was all driven by lawyers. I mean, techs would not even think of a lot of this stuff. Lawyers are always thinking of that, and that's why they get get the big money. Yeah,
3: and it's uh, it's
0: silly. A lot of that stuff is just justifying their own job. See, see how much I save the company, and it's it's just silly. I mean, there's for all of that for for two ounces worth of butane.
4: It's just. Yeah, and of- Tim, to, you,
3: to your uh, to your kind of thing, I saw one the other day. I was on a a less than year old Manitowoc ice machine. And, uh, so I was, uh, basically I had a float valve that somehow they knocked the, uh, water reservoir float, uh, higher. And so I'm letting it go through the cycle and I was like, all right, I'm going to browse through the manual. Well, in there, it actually said at two points, do not wash the sanitizer off. And I couldn't understand that. I've always been to you know, clean off the sanitizer, but at two points in bold, they put do not wash the sanitizer off. I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. So i dismissed it. Some of that stuff I've just dismissed and be like, whatever.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: It, it yeah, may can't be somebody, why they would say that. somebody
4: might have used some corrosive cleaner or started a fire one time. It's usually something weird like that. So now they have to yeah. make a generic rule and. Yeah.
3: yeah, but to not rinse it off, you know, normally it would like be adamant about rinsing it off, but to be adamant about not rinsing it off, I'm just thinking, what's the purpose of being adamant about not rinsing off the sanitizer? Like what purpose is that sanitizer sitting on there gonna do anymore if I spray some water around it here as I clean it up, I don't, I don't get it. So just to your point.
0: Yeah, you know, they're they're always, uh, I think the other thing the manufacturers are doing to, to the liability thing, it's my theory. I don't have data on this, but my theory is like over the years I've seen the manufacturers dumb down their service manuals. I mean, I don't know, back in the '80s, you go through a Maytag manual, just on their Dependable Care washer and stuff, and they're talking about doing watt measurements and and using volts to measure uh, for continuity instead of actually, you know, everybody's all about ohms and continuity today. Why? Because that's where the manufacturers went that way in their in their literature. Why? Because they knew a lot of techs aren't getting formal training in electricity. And therefore, what, how, why does that concern manufacturers? They don't want to be on the line for liability for encouraging a tech to work in a live circuit. And then they get their ass shocked off and then go back and sue the manufacturer. That's what they're thinking. Again, lawyers, I think, are driving that stuff. I mean, the techs who work at these companies, they know. They know about watts and amps and all that kind of thing. But they, don't, they deliberately expunge that from the literature because they don't want to encourage techs to work on live circuits because of liability. <laughs> so, and that used to not be the case. It used to be that they would encourage you to work on live circuits back in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s. That's all changed.
2: I've definitely noticed that looking, working on older machines. I mean, I've only been doing this for like three years, so super new compared to most of you guys. Uh, but I've definitely, I've seen some of the older manuals going through when I'm working on it. I'm like, I got kind of excited. I was like, wow, this is showing me how to do, you know, amps and watts and everything. And I'm like, no, that's what Master Samurai talks about. <laughs> I got kind of excited.
0: Those old school old school skills still apply today, and so and so that's why on YouTube you see everybody talking about ohm this and continuity that, and it's like that is dumb down school, man. And that's that's the manufacturers putting that stuff out, and uh it's just not the way to roll. Not not on AC circuits for sure. You can get by with that on DC circuits, but not on AC
4: circuits. You'll get head faked. Don't don't be discouraged, Julian. Three years with that type of knowledge, it leads you a lot more experience than the guy 30 years who's still a parts changer. I've noticed that I'm only three and a half years into it. And I notice other guys around me. And sometimes I'm like, well, why didn't you just check this? And they have no idea what I'm talking about. So, you know, going through the course and using Applientology, it really, really helps out. It, It ups that experience level.
0: The irony is, well, a lot of these guys that you're mentioning, Tim, with uh, 30, 40 years experience, I've I've talked with a number of them, and yeah, they're they're ohms checkers, and they think they know it all, and you start talking about voltage drop and stuff like that, a lot of times they'll get defensive, and they'll say, listen, cupcake, I've been doing this long, all this type of stuff, you know, like, and it's like, man, like, dumb and arrogant, not a good
1: combination, <laughs> that that by the way, that listen cupcake thing. that's a direct quote from someone that's not just something he made up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh,
2: Captain you know,
1: like, Ron. His what?
2: Kind of like this, was it yeah, kind of like the argument from authority, right? It's like, oh i've I've got this many years of experience yeah, therefore, yeah. you know, you can't tell me you know, whatever I say is going to be right, like classic it's like, okay, logical well,
0: yeah, that, classic logical fallacy, fallacy, argument from authority. Yeah. appeal to authority. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't have anything technical to say on the issue. I'm just going to talk about me or whatever authority I point to. And even yep. though it doesn't flow logically in the argument.
3: I think the changes too in the last uh I'm I'm you know pretty new too. I was, you know, Willie um budget appliance repair as well. He's he's on pliontology. And uh he thought that I was been doing it as long as he has, but no, I've only been doing it 15 years, which for some of these guys, you know, 35, 40 years. So I'm still new to them. And um Shit, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say about that. Nah, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say about that. I went I'll off on. Well, some of
0: these I was, guys, like Willie, who's an example. Some of these guys really do know what They've been at it for a long time, and they really do know what they're
3: doing. Oh, so. Willie's awesome. No, Willie's going to, I remember what I was going to say about it. Um, but he, we were talking about a machine the other day, and I was trying to think of when we really, in my short 15 years, I've seen changes more in the last probably 10 years. So, uh, looking back at machines, I don't think they were as technical. I think the big shift, the number, the first machine I think that I kind of remember being more technical than others was the GE with the uh, the board on the back of it. Uh, that was kind of the the first one that kind of I think I remember, and then the duets. So, yeah, it's gotten. To, but to your point, um, it's really I guess my point on this was for you guys at three and a half years, where you're at, you're so much further for what you have than people. That, had, that we're doing it. And I'm kind of thinking of my buddy who taught me the business, Been doing I think 24, 25 years, he just doesn't get it. He's refusing to learn. He's refusing to, to uh, engage. And he wants to virtually still take a thermistor and cut it out and stick it in a cup of water. And he's doing stuff like, to this day, my buddy still does this. I'm, I, I try and I try and i just, I've almost given up on. And uh, so, yeah, man, you guys are doing great. Love the interaction. I think you guys are kicking butt, you know? And, and also as well, not everyone has to be great at this. I've learned that as well. Some people are, don't want to be, you know, some people find their comfort level and that's okay. I have two technicians that, that have found their comfort level and they don't want to get any further. And I try to push them and teach them and stuff, but ultimately it's up to them if they want to nerd out on it. And you guys got to remember where we kind of nerd out on the stuff where other people don't. And I tell people that as well. To be a good technician, you don't have to be a nerd and be great at You could be a good technician and still make a good living at this without being great at it.
0: Yeah, with me, it's just curiosity. I'm just always, you know, how does that work? What is, I've, yeah. I've always been like that since I was a kid, you know, taking stuff apart. Yeah. It's just like, it's how I'm wired. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of surprising to me that, you know, technicians who do this for a living, and they're not even curious about, how does this variable frequency drive system work? What's in that, that weird? Try- do? How does that thing work? Yeah, 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 I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, that's what that's what keeps your brain young, too. Keep learning stuff.
2: Um, just to want to add one more thing. You guys are talking about um, refrigerators and iron guns. Um, I, one thing I do, like I did last week, was I had a customer. I've been, like, booking out, like, a week now for appointments. Um, so I had a customer refrigerator call. I had um, I sent them the link on Amazon. There's like a $10, like four-pack of refrigerator thermometers with the little gauge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. But I had them order those and then stick one in the freezer and one in the fridge so that, you know, there's monitor the temperatures. And then when I got there, then I have to worry about, um, you know, messing around with the IR gun. It's a good add-on sale item, too. Yeah, I've upsold. Th- that's actually why I know I've actually upselled those to people. Yeah. um yeah. so yeah
0: <laughs> carry them with you you know uh, sell them out for twice what you paid for you know for small ticket items markup is double and um and, and sell them they got convenience got it right there in their house
2: boom yep yeah because yeah, oh I, that's the other thing i was going to say um i was going to ask you about the ir gun i i've always kind of you know i don't know how those things work work it sounds like you do um but <clears throat> I've kind of always not fully trusted them. Like, I don't know if this is fully so I don't know if you if it's in the winter time and you have that thing sitting in your vehicle and it's really cold and then you bring it in to use it. I mean, I've sometimes gotten weird temperatures like I think this is 10 degrees off. Is that am I like hallucinating or is that like a thing?
0: No, no, that is a thing. Um, the little detector in there, what is it, galidinium or something? It's something with a G anyway it's a little uh, it senses light in the infrared range which you know we can't see but it can quote see and so it it is affected by temperature so but and i don't know exactly what that spec is it might even be in the specs of your um of your ir gun it'll have an operating temperature range outside of which um it, it can get very inaccurate very hot or very cold it can get uh it can introduce inaccuracies because of the okay. You know, have
2: you noticed that? Um personally, have you noticed that when you're doing service calls and because you live in a cold weather climate, right? So yeah, but um, I my, you notice your, your gun being kind of off in the winter? No, because
0: it doesn't my gun doesn't stay in the car overnight. So I I bring my tool bag in every night to because I don't like my tools to be real cold when I work on work with them in the morning. So my 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 main tool bag, which my IR gun is in, that comes out of my car every night and goes in my shop. Um, so it stays nice and, you know, room temperature. And then in the morning, when I load out for service calls, I load my bag in there. And the, the IR gun during the day does not get cold enough during that time to affect it. So, no, I've not, not noticed that.
2: Okay, cool. Well, I guess maybe I'll just do that then. Um, yeah,
0: okay. you, any kind of instrument like that, um, Julian, you want to, you don't want them sitting in extreme temperatures anyway. Anything electronic, mm-hmm. your electronic or electrical instruments, you know, your meter uh same thing you don't want that sitting out in extreme cold bring all your sensitive stuff in at night and it'll last you a long time
2: okay i'll do that then thank you and then actually while we're on that like i've got so my van i've got like parts stocked in there and then you have for the dryers you have the um the drum felt kits that have the adhesive those things explode from the heat in the summer like i had one just explode it's in a bag or whatever but yeah. and my car smells like you know that (laughs) chemical. Yep. So, like, what do you do? Like, it's so weird because I don't, you know, the second I take it off the van, then I'm going to need it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well,
0: do you do you pre diagnose all your calls?
2: I do, but for something like drum felt, you could need that at any moment. You know, it's like well, you know, no, if
0: you got to like, some days you may not have a dryer um, on this on the service yeah. call list, and so you you, you I, I take my dryer box and it comes off the car, stays on the shelf. And if uh, and on the other hand, if I've got refrigerators, washers, whatever, I, I pull my uh, standard refrigerator washer box off the shelf, that goes in the car. Um, so even my parts, I, I often, what goes in a garage, which just doesn't get extremely cold anyway, and that stuff goes back on the shelf. So yeah, I, I don't keep, I, I adjust my rolling inventory based on the mix of calls that I've got for that day. <laughs> and there's some okay. stuff will stay in there, you know, like, uh, my screw boxes with mi- miscellaneous screws and fasteners that stays on there. Um, some of the shoe shoe covers. There's some things that just stay in there all the time. That it's not affected by temperature.
2: Okay. Uh, are you still using a CRV? Yeah. Your- okay. Yeah.
0: It's great. I put the back seat down. I got a tarp on the bottom, and then all my stuff gets loaded up. Uh, and and there's plenty of room. Okay. Yeah, and I can zip around awesome. drive. I can get around in the snow and ice, no problem. Don't even have to use snow tires on that thing. I just use uh Michelin all season mud and snows and it gets around great.
2: Awesome. T- Tim, what are you uh Tim and I, what are you or what are you guys all driving for? I mean, I've got a, a Honda Odyssey minivan, but I don't know. It's I'm thinking of getting like a cargo van because I'm just sick of I've got like a big shop vac in there. I just got so much stuff in there. Like I had a ladder in there and it's just kind of crazy. Um, So I was thinking of getting maybe like a cargo van or something for everything.
3: I have, um, I've burned through, well, in the old days, uh, I had some Chevy express vans like the 2,500 and the 3,500. And those are gas guzzlers, of course, but they do have the benefits of you can put, you know, machines in there. And at that point, you know, we'd have to, you know, load up a dishwasher and, you know, haul it off or get a microwave or whatever. And so things kind of developed, and so I've also been through some of the old uh, safaris and the old uh, God, those little Chevy minivans. But now, what I'm using, I have a um, Dodge Caravan for myself that I've removed the back seats, and so I keep about have five um, boxes in there for you know refrigerators, dryers, washers, things like that. I carry my refrigerant stuff in there. I carry bearing kit, tool kind of stuff to remove agitators. I've got uh, my socket set. I've got two toolboxes, and in one of those toolboxes is actually where I keep my glue and my silicone and greases and it's that kind of stuff. I can keep all that because that stuff will stain and get on the carpet and stick. And if you've ever had that uh, that glue get on your carpet, it gets stuck there forever. You virtually it pulls the fibers up of the carpet. It's done. It's now bald carpet on there. So that that glue is really, really tough stuff. Um, And then I have my other technician has a another uh, Dodge Caravan. And uh, I just recently got rid of the twenty five hundred. It was getting old. It virtually and you got to remember in the old days, I had nice vehicles that were lettered and stuff like that nope never again will i do that i've had technicians literally i had a technician in my newest vehicle get side swiped on a hit and run and told him my vehicle and i've had um i've had my another vehicle burn up in the middle of the night at chevy had a problem with that the relay boxes and it was my younger brother and he was a uh, he was a technician for me for a couple years he he, he never was going to make it but anyway whatever um he uh he parked the car. He parked the van at five, you know, nine on a Friday, and then Sunday morning, it got me burned, van up, or the van burnt up and it's gone. And basically, it burnt to the ground. All I had was the aluminum tires left. The aluminum. It was cool. Anyway, um, so I've learned not to buy, not to spend money on vans, quite honestly. And I, I really don't give a shit. I, you know, people say, oh, you want to letter and be professional. You know what? When I go in there, they'll see I'm a professional. They'll know. They'll know what I have. They have once I walk in and start talking to them. I don't care what I look like. And I'm not a speeder or anything like that, so I don't flip people off or anything. But I also, just knowing other vehicles, I almost feel like that if you have a lettered vehicle, that you're almost a target. And I don't want that. And, and the only reason for me to have a letter, lettered vehicle I was thinking of was, and it's, there's pros and cons to it. And I was thinking that the pro would be, yes, you get, you know, advertisements and you get, um, you know, people noticing you. And it looks professional when you pull up. But the downside of it, I swear, people, man, they'll drive around you, they'll ride your ass, they'll, you know, make calls, wrecks. Um, you know, it, it's 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 worse if if you can see who you are. So anyway, so that's what I have. And then I just bought my guy a hell. What did I buy him? A Honda. I, I can't even remember what it is. A Honda. Uh, not an out. It's kind of just SUV, kind of a Honda thing. Got a really good deal on it and um,
2: Passport Pilot uh hell
3: what is HRV, it
2: what is it was that last HRV month? HRV CRV passport pilot
3: it may be a CRV hell I don't know that's how that's how little I care that virtually is how little I care and um I let my technicians take the the vehicles home and uh they're good about it they keep up the little changes say hey you know it needs tires or whatever brakes or that kind of stuff and I've learned to fix my um, vehicles, most of them by myself. I mean, I've, I've, I do most of the work, and there are some pros and cons about that for me. Um, and I can do, you know, minor repair work on my vehicles and virtually save eight hundred, a thousand dollars, and not have my my van down for a couple of days. So for me, I don't mind doing that kind of stuff. But for other people, you just have to pay to get them fixed. But I just I don't spend money on vehicles. I think. I'm probably due for a new vehicle on mine, and I don't know. Um, I don't think I want something too big. You know, You don't, I don't want something too big, but too small either, you know? So um, I've been looking at kind of thinking about those kind of boxy kind of things as transits or whatever, but those are almost too small. I have a couple friends that have those, and those are almost... It's like my my van, my Grand Caravan has more space and 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 more stuff, you know, more space in it than some of those transits. So I'm not into vehicles... Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I was always curious about the whole incognito. I kind of like being incognito, you know, not having like the, you know, everyone know who you are, but I don't know. I, I guess it looks more professional if you, you do. Um, but a- another thing I was thinking about since, um, you got a mini, we both got minivans. I was thinking of maybe taking my, my front passenger seat out and then you can put like, like I have a ladder. I don't like getting on, I used to have a big ladder and then I, I got rid of it. I'm like, I don't want to go on tall ladders, but go on like an eight foot ladder. Yeah. I'm mean, like, there's, there's, you know, all the money in the world. If I fall and get injured, a hundred million dollars isn't gonna fix it. So I'm like, it's not worth it.
3: Why um, insurance but- won't let me go above six feet?
2: Six feet? Six
3: feet?
2: Yeah. Six feet. Yeah. I, I don't really feel. Calm. I'll go on something like that, but I'm like, eh, I'm not going anything, anything too crazy. And I agree. And in my younger days, man, i would hop up on the roof and clear a vent and, you know, not care
3: and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But then, you know, as like I said, things in business, you know, develop. And over the years, you know, 15 years from now, you're, you're going to be a different Julian than you are today. You know what I'm saying? So just things naturally migrate that direction. So for me nowadays, I'm not interested in it. When I was hungry and I had to. Yeah, I was relentless. I didn't give a shit. But nowadays it's like, yeah, I'm going to pick and choose my spots. And that's that's not a spot. I certainly don't dismiss anybody who wants to do that. You know what I'm saying? You're younger than I am too, Julian. You got to remember that, man.
2: Yeah. But another thing is kind of what you're saying is like, pick your spots. Like, you know, I think, you know, I'm so grateful for plantology and, and everything. Um, Cause you know, we're like, uh, like you've said, I've heard you say in the videos, like, you know, everything starts in, in your head, you know, the troubleshooting. So even though we have a physical job, we're really using, we're really using our head um, to make money not our body. So why would I want to climb on a ladder and risk that? It's just kind of stupid.
3: You know, nothing, Julie and I, uh, we don't, uh, we don't do service calls on weekends. And uh, I used to be, you know, used to answer calls and I'm like, and it finally hit me. I'm like, I'm answering calls and taking calls and booking out till Thursday or Friday just to have them cancel on Wednesday. And I was like, I can't, I only have, you know, three technicians, three and a half technicians. So I can only run so many calls a week. That's all I can run. Taking more calls is not going to get you more calls. It's going to get you pissed off customers. And so I'll, we've kind of changed now to where my wife who you know, runs the office. That's the, that's what she says. She says, look, can I have your zip code let, you know, to see where we're at. And she says, I got to tell you right now, we're booking out till, you know, Wednesday of next week in your area to take it or leave it. I don't know what to tell you because I, I know and I'm comfortable enough and it took a while to get there because you're always scared. You think, man, is the bottom dropping off. I any calls or whatever, right? But no, you got to have faith that those calls are going to come in and they do come in. And so now, now I just start like, what am I going to do? I'm going to take the calls. And, and as the longer you, you're, the longer your wait time, the more uh, cancellations you're going to get. The, way to get, around the can,
0: way to get around the cancellations, a lot of companies do, they, they uh, uh, charge for the service call in the call, in the phone call when they're, when they've thought
3: about the that. And, and that and that's Ooh. a whole set of issues right there too. That's a whole set of things right there. And and the reality of it is, is the cancellations, if they're not that day, if they're within one day, man, I, we're, we're getting calls all day long. So to me, I can fill those spots, but also it does piss you off and it pisses you off when people don't cancel and you show up at the door and they, they you know, that kind of stuff. And so, yes, you can take the credit cards, but I got into my wife and I discussed it, and we're like, do we want to get into taking the credit card and if they don't show up then we charge them and then we still have to go out there and they get this pissing contest and leave a bad review and it's all over you know what i'm saying so oh they get charged
0: no the way uh, yale appliances do it does it in uh, boston and they they're big shop i mean like 27 tax whatever uh big operation they sell as well as service um they when they when they book the call they charge for the service call right then and there at the call and and then the, the dispatch might be days later. Um, and then they go outs. But the service call is already paid for. It is prepaid before the tech even rolls out. Right. There.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: So yeah, yeah. They, they do it. And I'm sure people I'm sure they've got, I don't know. I, yeah, I haven't asked them what do you do when people can test the charge and all that kind of thing. I'm sure they deal with that and, they, and they've got a system for handling that. But they've been doing this for several years now, as far as I know. It's-
3: uh the big thing for me, Scott, that I'm trying to figure out a way around uh is credit cards is is to i'm trying to figure out it because my current losses i usually credit card service charges cost me about 650 to 950 bucks a month for on average and uh here in the state of florida i am not allowed to collect my i'm not allowed to collect uh on that on service calls here in florida you're not allowed to they do allow you actually on, on on credit cards to collect um, if it's a true credit card, like an American Express or a Discover, you can collect what you are actually charged for that exact amount. You're allowed to collect exactly that. If it's a debit card, you're—they have some sort of algorithm thing where basically it's like you get fifty cents per transaction plus another like five cents of their percentage or whatever. And I figured it out; it ends up being like fifty-seven cents per hundred dollars literally 57 cents per hundred. The problem of it is, is you would think that, all right, well, if you're using American Express and I have to charge you this amount, well, the amount that I'm charged uh, that from American Express is not just one amount. Each one of their cards has a different charge amount. So their American Express gold has one Their American Express, you know, Delta miles has one. And so they're all different rates. So you would virtually have to know those rates to be able to charge the correct amount. So I spoke with my accountant, and my accountant was like, "Yeah, you're gonna get into a little shady mathematics on that, and and that's uh, that's why I don't do it, and that's why all the other places around here don't do it. And the reason why I bring this up is because there is a company here in town. Um, it's a long story, but we'll get into it, uh, buddy. I know, and he charges four percent on credit cards." Which you can't do here in Florida, which is illegal. He basically, but it's illegal like,
0: by it's illegal by the every uh, every credit card term of service says you, you're not allowed to surcharge. So it's illegal yeah. by the use of the credit card's terms of service. No, it's, it's illegal in the state of state state. It's it's yeah, illegal it, though everywhere, um, yeah. everywhere cards are issued because if you read through the terms of service, you're not allowed to surcharge. That that's just by the company uh, issuing the card. They 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 don't want people surcharging. What you can do the way you get around that. Is you just bump up all of your charges to cover for the cost of the credit card, and then and that's every, what I do, everybody's paying for credit cards. Even people who pay cash are paying for credit cards.
3: But, but Scott, I'm greedy, and I want to do that plus re- recover my, my my two and a half percent.
0: Well, it, you're getting you're getting it though. If you, if if you're incorporating credit card charges into your total fee structure, everybody's paying for it, whether they're using cards. No, and I agree.
3: And I consider this just a part part of business. Um, I will actually, I do have a question for you guys, and maybe maybe some of you have an approach on this. I'm trying to find a way to increase my profitability on my higher-end service calls. And what I mean by that, Thermadors, Vikings, Wolf, things like that, what I'm trying to do is that takes so much time to to get into the machine and to uh, do the parts research and order the parts and procure the stuff. And I'm trying to get extra money out of that. And I don't know how and well, car- I, 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 you
0: use the flat rate. Here's what I do. I use the flat rate guide, um, service call fees for higher end stuff. It, they're, they're automatically a little bit higher service call fee. So instead of 125, it'll be 150 for a service call for, for one of these higher end appliances. Because right. It's going to be extra care, extra, extra, right. pain, yes. And then um, uh, working on them, uh, the skill fee to work on them is a little higher too. So I'll go up a class in the skill fee. So they're paying a little bit more for the service call and they're paying a little bit more for the repair. Uh, they're getting it both ways. So um, they end up, it, it does, the job does get surcharged, and you, you do that by having a different service call um, fee and, and have, adding on to your skill fee. If you're doing something like the flat rate blue book where you got three parts to it, you got parts with markup, skill fee, and what was the third one, Sam? Uh, um, arts, skill fee, and yeah. uh, service call fee. Yeah. So those are your, the service call goes into that. So your, your big three prices is service call fee, whatever that is, skill fee, and that's going to be bumped up. So your service call fee and your skill fee are, are bumped up for high-end appliances. And then your parts with markup, whatever it is, and just according to your markup schedule.
3: Yeah, and that's why I was just trying to think of how you know with the office, so we normally say yeah, our service call is ninety five dollars, you know, kind of thing. And so I'm just trying to figure out a way to capture that. And one of the oddball things is uh, the same company that charges that four percent, they charge one hundred and twenty five dollars a service call. Uh, I have a buddy who actually works for them. Long story again, and uh, he he gets pissed off because if they because he doesn't get to quote the cost, the company uh, they literally like he goes out there diagnoses it gives the notes and the company calls the customer back with the quote. The problem with that is, is if you collect $125 and you're doing a knob and you're only collecting 165, the technician is now going back out to that call for less money than he did for the first time without having to do any work. Yeah. And so I, I argue with him. I was like, what's the purpose of having 125? If you have a high service call, then that's telling me that you're almost not interested in the repair of it, but that you're just trying to capture that service call. Well, I, we don't have a lot of kick refusals. I mean, a lot of times the people that don't want to get the work done are going to be, you know, the the machines in disrepair. It's not that you just don't want the work done, and I I need to get that extra twenty five bucks out of them. So, was just trying to think about that with the, the thermometer stuff, and I was thinking about, hey, on those right there, you're right. That's what I was thinking about. Scott was one hundred fifty five dollars, and simply just bump up the 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 labor rate for being a skilled rate. Yeah, and yeah. and
0: um, and you're still you're. They're getting a good repair. I mean, I've, I've not had anybody complain. Um, working yeah. on Bosch, Thermador stuff. I mean, they they're, they don't care. The people who own yeah. these appliances, they just want it fixed, and they're not going to quibble about twenty five bucks. Yep, I agree. Fifty bucks. They don't they don't care about that. They want it fixed quickly, and if you can do that with minimum aggravation on their
3: part, you're golden. Well, I think sometimes just because I'm I'm poor that uh, that I think poor, and that uh, that to me, three hundred fifty dollars, forty dollars is a lot you know, for, for labor, where to them, it's it's not, you know, and I have to sometimes think like that. And the point of it is, is I sometimes feel like I leave money on the table. So I might need to revisit the blue book, particularly on the higher end jobs that, you know, that I can get away with them. Maybe not so much on the smaller jobs in my area. Yeah. You know, if I go start, you know, charging 275 to change our i switch I'm, I'm getting kicked out and not even get my service call. People so- who
0: have money, though, and people who have these higher end appliances, what they primarily value is time. And minimum hassle and aggravation. They're they're not going they're, they're not worried about uh, a few bucks here and here or there. If it can be done with minimum hassle, that's what they want, and they're willing to pay for that. They're willing to pay for convenience and minimum hassle, and that does cost. You know what's yeah. what's the big three in service? You get good price, fast service, uh, quick quick repair.
3: Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, uh, so, so, you know, you can have any two? So, All right. So yeah, uh, I think um, that, that's the thing. Don't don't project our uh, economic status onto the customers that we would like to work for, who generally have way more money than we do.
3: Well, you know, and it's an interesting platform that the other company has. And like I said, I've, I know the owner. I was friends with him until we had a falling out, and for twenty five years, so we've talked plenty about this business. Um, he, but he's he's a crook, and I don't I like dealing with people like that. And uh, he. I like I do like the model that he he doesn't let the technicians make the decision. If it's not a stock truck item, um, that you know, if it's not a, a part that he has on the truck, then they have to call in the office, and the office is going to give the quote. So that takes it out of the technician's hand. That there's pros and cons to that. What it does is it does make a, a more standard pricing than a technician imposing their feelings about how much they should feel like the cost is worth, right? Because what happens if you have a technician that, you know, doesn't value his time as much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think it doesn't uh, account for discrepancies in the work environment either. You know, what? How do you charge for something that you have access to a stack, you know, unit that's in a garage versus the stack units in an apartment with a bunch of crap around it and shelves built into it?
0: Oh, difficult access is a line item that gets added. There's a I've got a fee schedule for difficult access depending on the nature of it. If I have to use a special tool, um, like uh, if I have to use the air dolly or the all dolly or the air sled, um, that gets surcharged. That's because that's a captured capital cost that has to be recovered. So uh, I are, charge an 50 bucks or whatever for. for and that's
3: a wide item to the customer. Like they're actually seeing that. Oh, yeah. On their
0: yep. Wow. Yep. I, I, did, I tell them I don't try to hide it or anything. I said, yeah, I've got to use a special tool for this. It's a $50 surcharge. And, and
2: I do that too with like. Just be right well, up front with them.
0: And if people are going to have a problem with that, look, that is these special equipment that we use, that is captured capital. You've got to recoup that. That's just the way business works. You've got to recoup that captured capital. And you do that by surcharging it. And it's not just re- re- just re- to recover the cost of it, but that, that capital is supposed to make you money. You invest that capital in a tool or a piece of equipment, it's supposed to then go on and become a profit center for you. That's what capital does. That's capitalism.
2: That's a good point. Yeah, and um, um, yeah, I, I've started doing that too. I guess when I first started out, I started, um, it's a line item on my QuickBooks, it's difficult access fee. And I try to tell, and I always If I'm not sure, like the setup, I always, in my questionnaire, I ask them if it's stacked or whatnot. And I like having them send me a picture of the setup. Um, And if it's like, I can tell them to have to do extra work or any heavy lifting. It's like, you know, I'm a technician. I really don't want to be doing heavy lifting, you know. That's not really, I'm not a mover. Plus, when
0: you do that, you're taking on extra liability. That has to, you have to account for that as well. Anytime you move an appliance, you are incurring liability um you scratch right. my floor oh you dented my uh, you know you're gonna get you're gonna get that kind of stuff and you've got to you've got to charge for that and, and plus yep. I, I tell people if they don't want the surcharge for the special then move it yourself so that i can access it uh, if, you, yep. if you save you want to save 50 100 bucks whatever then pull it out yourself and and uh then yep. you, you'll save that charge most of the time they have me do it
2: yep i i've had guys like move it though and i'm like actually that's better for me because i don't even want to doing your lifting i'll take that yeah i mean i'll, I'll, I'll i to do that all the time yep
0: i would rather than mm-hmm. do that i'm not interested in making an extra 50 or 100 bucks um, and still incur the liability of moving an appliance and the pain but, okay. factor of setting up your all dolly or your air sled or whatever and you gotta haul that around it's not something that normally lives in my van nope <laughs>
3: hmm. good things to think about man yeah yeah
1: all
0: right well, wow, here we are at 11 o'clock. Anybody got anything else?
2: I do, but um, I've talked a lot. So I'll give, if anyone else, I don't know, Tim or Steven, if they have something, I'll let them go first.
0: You got a quick one, Julian?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, on the last meeting I had brought up, um, Tim Nye, you told me I could change the heating element from the front and the double wall oven Fisher and Paykel um, fan heating element. Um, I tried doing it, but then the I don't know, like it just didn't come through. The wire didn't come through, so I ended up having to do it from the back. So basically my question is, do you guys fix, can you guys fix um, heating elements on double wall ovens, um, like without having to pull it out at all? Are there any repairs that you've done completely from the front without oh, having yeah. it to it It depends pull on the out?
0: model, but definitely some of them, uh, most, most of them, them, only the sadistic ones make you actually pull it out yeah.
2: from the back. OK, yeah, exactly. so OK, so that's something I should be keeping in mind is try my best to troubleshoot and repair without having to pull out the wall oven. I, I didn't know that was a thing. I just thought you kind of had to pull it out.
3: Mm-mm. Most that's of the time, last though. thing I'm doing.
0: Yeah, most of the time. Right. OK, yeah. awesome. Well, that, that helps a lot. Thank you. All right. All right. And um, so I mm. think we'll do. I think Sam might have had another show until we'll just save that for next time. And, oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah, and and anything else that we come up with. So uh any other show and tells that we come up with in the meantime. A is fertile ground for that. So all right. Well, good seeing everybody. You as well. You That's, as well. Yeah. Is
2: it in two weeks or two weeks, yeah. Two
0: okay. Weeks. Again, watch the announcements at a and the newsletter if you're on that. You'll everybody'll get a heads up. And then we'll also uh announce when the uh when this recording is available for Sam's show and tell for today. All right. Awesome. All right. Y'all, y'all have a great
1: weekend. Yeah. Good thanks to for coming having... out, people. Thanks, guys. Thanks, you you guys. too.
2: Take care, guys.
1: Right. Bye,
3: Bye. Bye Tim. All right. Bye.